Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to Is the, the Mystery for Me. me. Welcome back to another episode of It's the Mystery for Me. I posted a little recap of the weekend on my um, personal TikTok account, and someone commented, Norma and Priscilla? Question mark? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are y'all my favorite true crime podcast girlies? Because Norma is in the video, and she is dancing. If y'all want to see, go check out my latest video. It's called A Little Weekend in the Life of a Fabulous 32-Year-Old. And it's under my username, Legally Priscilla. But people in the comments are going crazy, saying, like, Norma's waistline is crazy. Like, this is the Jamaican side. Blah, blah, blah. That's funny. We went to our cousin's um, baby shower this weekend on our dad's side, so the Jamaican side. And people love seeing Norma on my personal TikTok. I love seeing myself, too. You do when you watch it? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You're funny. I probably watched it like 20 times. Now, that's funny. Sorry. Let me go ahead and just turn this off. All right. So we do have an update related to true crime news, and that's with Kanika Jenkins. Mm -hmm. We covered her case how long ago? A while ago. It was track 29. Whoa. Mm -hmm. That's back in what? 2022? Yeah. For sure. It was one of the first cases I did. Right. Mm -hmm. That was an insane case. Um, If you guys don't remember it, it's about a girl who essentially died in a hotel and they found her body like in the freezer. freezer. And to this day, there are no actual, I don't know. To this day, there's no actual like conclusion to her case. Mm -hmm. No one knows what happened. Her family still thinks that it's foul play. I I think that too. Me too. But there was nothing that the medical examiner found that showed that. Right. It only showed that she died of hypothermia and she was intoxicated. So there was like alcohol in her system. Um, but that was pretty much it. However, like clothing wise, I remember like her pants was pulled down a certain right. way. Like her bra and her shirt was pulled a certain way. Right. She's partially exposed right so that was definitely bizarre but her mom ended up suing them for wrongful death for 50 million and and it recently settled for an undisclosed amount but hopefully you know this does not bring kanika back obviously but hopefully this kind of gives the family a little bit of i don't know like justice yeah Right, I agree. I hope they feel that some sort of justice has been done because if they are settling with them, 
I mean, that might mean to them at least like, okay, we are all coming to the conclusion that there was some wrongdoing here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, the other side could just be like, well, we're just we're just settling because we just want this to be wrapped up and we're not admitting to wrongdoing. We're just, you know, admitting to something happening that's not necessarily our fault. And I don't know who exactly she sued. Do, do you yeah, know? so she sued the hotel. So it's the Crown Plaza Chicago O'Hare Ooh. Hotel. Oh. Um, she also sued the security firm that worked for the hotel and she sued the restaurant that was responsible for leasing the freezer so there was a restaurant inside the hotel wow Mm -hmm. okay i'm glad she brought a lawsuit me too i'm curious as to the amount but you know one third of that usually goes to the attorney some attorneys will work on something called contingency which means they'll do the work and as soon as a payout comes they'll get paid from that and the usual amount that attorneys will take in this type of like case is 33 percent and then there could be some taxes involved etc um but yeah that's a little bit of an update right there so let's just hop into today's episode for today's case i watched two shows The first is a TV One show called Payback, um, and the episode is called First 911 Caller. The second show is an ID discovery show called Grave Mysteries, that's season two, episode seven. I also looked at articles from the Seattle Times, West Side Seattle, The Cinemaholic, and a few others. For a full list of today's sources, go ahead and check out our website, itsthemysteryforme.com, or click the link in today's show notes. This story takes us back to New Year's Eve of 2009 in Burien, Washington. This is a case of Mykera Sanders. Mykera Sanders was born in Seattle, Washington on June 19, 1994. So in 2009, she was 15 years old. Her father was not in the picture, so she was raised by her mother, Zakia Sanders, and her grandmother in a loving home. Mykera does have siblings, so the show and sources don't go into details. Her mom mentioned that she had Mykera very young, and her grandmother said that Mykera was her first grandchild. Mykera is described by her family and friends as a kind-hearted person who was super outgoing, who was just enthusiastic about life and helping others. She was extremely close to her family, and she enjoyed hanging out with her friends, like her best friend Satori, and she made appearances on both shows. Mykera also really loved to sing and dance. Her family was super religious when she was growing up, so that was a a major influence on her life, and she was part of the church's choir. When she was 13, she traveled to India and Malaysia with her grandmother as part of a youth ministry trip after a major earthquake. So I think that really speaks to her character and just how genuine she was as a person and in, in trying to help other people yeah because at 13 i was not taking any mission trips yeah i was taking I was not... mission trips to the mall yeah <laughs> that's really it so mm-hmm. honestly that shows a lot of maturity yeah it honestly does right mm-hmm. so it's believed that this experience made her want to continue to give back and she did just that so Around 14, 15 years old, she started volunteering at a local youth center in Seattle, and she would work after school with teens to keep them away from street life and drugs, and 
the group coordinator basically said that Makara was someone that was very reliable, dedicated, very mature, and anything that she needed, it was going to get done. That was the kind of person she was. Mm. So again, it's really amazing to see a teenager so young with so much passion and this kind of work ethic. It's always fascinating to me. Yeah. So it was no surprise that she also did well academically, but she did have a hard time socializing at school. She was actually being bullied to the point where she had to transfer. No. Yeah. So she ended up going to another school her sophomore year. Why do you think kids bully people? Like, honestly. I really just think that people that do that um, are miserable. I think so too. I think so too. I think that they probably have been in positions where they haven't been in power and meaning other people have bullied them and so they Mm -hmm. wanna do it to other people. That too. Not for nothing, let my kid come home and say that they're being bullied. I'm pulling up to the school. Oh yeah, me too. With you. Me too. With you, I'm sending you inside. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is so sad. And the, the other side of it is like, sometimes you talk to their parents and the parents don't care. Oh yeah. Or they're just like, whatever, your kid said this, or I don't know, it's just, Mm -hmm. the world we live in. I feel so bad that she had to transfer though. It must've been really, really bad. Mm -hmm. So at the new school, she ends up meeting someone by the name of Matthew Du Bois. You mean Du Bois? I know it as Du Bois, but like they just keep saying Du Bois because apparently in America, that's how you pronounce it. Right, okay. (laughs) And that's how they pronounce it on the show. Okay. And I also like Googled it and that's what it said. I listened to like the voice. Norma's like, I did my due diligence, (laughs) y'all. Because I would say Dubois, but I don't know. So according to the TV One show, she met the boyfriend at the the new school. According to the ID Discovery show, she met the boyfriend through her best friend. I don't know. But what I do know is that they really hit it off. And she was definitely a positive influence on Matthew's life because he grew up in a really rough neighborhood in Seattle. So when she wasn't studying and volunteering, she was spending all her time with Matthew and her friends. So now let's flash forward to New Year's Eve of 2009. At this point, Mykera and Matthew had known each other for about 11 months and they had been exclusive for about six months. A 911 call comes in at around 9.30 p.m on New Year's Eve of 2009, in which the caller claims that there was two shots fired in a two-story apartment complex in Burien, Washington, and it so happens that this is where Matthew lives. When police arrive, they notice a trail of blood on the stairwell leading to the second floor of the complex. On the first floor, they did see blood when they entered the apartment, and some of the furniture seemed to be out of place, as if there was some sort of struggle. As they searched further, they noticed that there was a bullet hole in one of the bedroom doors. So there's two bedrooms in the apartment. So wait a minute, the cops come and they just walk into the apartment? I mean, they have like their guns pulled out. Well, no, yeah, but I mean, did they kick in the door? Did someone open it for them? We'll get into that in a little bit. Okay. So yeah, the door was basically open. Do we know how old Matthew is? He's 16. That's what you said? 
I don't think I mentioned his age, but okay. she's 15 and he's 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then they enter the bedroom and they see a young black teenager face down laying on the bed. And they are able to identify the victim as Makara. So she has a pulse, but she is losing blood fast because she was shot in her cheek. Ooh. So she's losing a lot of blood out of her face and she's also bleeding out of her nose. Mm. Officers perform CPR and she is stabilized and she's taken to the hospital in, in critical condition. They then make their way onto the second floor. I'm assuming this is happening at the same time, like there's multiple officers on the scene. So the officers who are attending to victim number two are on the second floor and that happens to be Makara's boyfriend, Matthew. So he is also suffering from a serious gunshot wound to his shoulder and he's being consoled by his cousin, Tyler, AKA Juice. Just keep Juice in mind because he comes back up. Okay. At this point, Matthew is awake, but officers say that his injuries are so serious that he could possibly die. So they were just trying to get as much information as possible from him. Matthew's able to tell them that a black male with a blue bandana came into the apartment. He doesn't know who this person is. Um, the reason why he was able to just come into the apartment is because they were having a New Year's Eve party. So the door was unlocked. They were expecting their friends to come. He says that this guy walks in and he starts shooting from across the room, that he shoots Matthew and he shoots Mykera. Mykera likely ended up being followed into the bedroom and she collapsed on the bed. So they're both taken to the hospital and they both undergo surgery. When you say she was followed into the bedroom, mm -hmm. by who? I'm assuming like the shooter. To shoot her more? Yes. So she had more than one gunshot no. wound? Well, they may have missed is what I'm trying to say. Okay, because there was a bullet in the wall? There was a bullet in the door. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Are you confused? Well, I'm thinking if they followed her into the room, they could have shot her again. But she only has one gunshot wound. I don't think they shot her in the living room. Oh, okay. Is what I'm saying. Like, they may have missed. Gotcha. That's okay. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Now that makes sense. Mm -hmm. A canine dog is brought in to the scene and it didn't pick up on any scent. But thankfully, they are able to talk to four witnesses that provide some detail as to what happened. So Tyler, aka Juice, who's Matthew's cousin, he lives on the second floor with his grandmother. He said that Matthew basically collapsed in his arms and told him they just came in bro and started shooting. They then talk to Krishana, who is Matthew's brother's girlfriend. And she happened to have been a witness on the scene, but she also made the 911 call too. She tells them that there was this New Year's Eve party happening at the Dubois apartment or Dubois apartment. And she said she was trying to get in touch with her boyfriend, who's Matthew's brother. He was not answering. So she decided to walk up to her grandma's apartment, which is where she lives, same complex, to call him from the landline. She's knocking on her grandma's door and she hears a loud boom. She sees a short black male who's about 5'8". Is that kind of short? To your standard, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that's how this, how 
this person is described a short black male that's 5'8". I mean, so. I think average. <laughs> I think I think of average, and I guess someone who's 5'8 and a male would be below average in height. I guess, yeah. Short. Mm-hmm. He's also wearing a blue hoodie, and that's what she notices as he's running away. She didn't recognize a male, though. But she hears Matthew calling for help and she sees that he's shot in the shoulder and he's bleeding a lot. He kept telling her they ran in the house and Matthew at this point is in complete shock. He's somehow able to make it up the stairs to the second level. And that's why there is a blood trail up the stairway. So she goes back to the apartment where the Du Bois live and she sees that Makara is on the bed bleeding from her face and that's when she calls 911. They then talk to Krishana's grandmother and it turns out that she was the second caller that called 911. Except she describes things a little differently than the way that her granddaughter described them. So she said that Matthew came knocking on her door and she answered and she saw him like that he was shot and she immediately called 911. But she said that there was no knock before then, meaning Krishana had never knocked on the door. Okay. So she never came to the second floor apartment to knock on her grandma's door to call from the landline. That never happened, according to her grandma. Well, maybe she's in shock and she's just like kind of just giving these details out to cops. Like, It's possible, yeah. I mean, they find it odd enough where they're just kind of like, hmm, we need to talk to her again. Right. But then they continue on talking to other people. They were able to talk to one neighbor who reports hearing a loud argument and then hearing gunshots. Mm. So it's possible that, you know, maybe Matthew got into an argument with a shooter, but is scared for his life and is leaving out details. A few hours later, Matthew gets out of surgery and is awake and detectives interview him. He says he was just chilling with his girlfriend and then a guy comes in and starts shooting at them. He didn't get a good look at the guy like he had mentioned before, but that the shooter did have a hoodie like he mentioned before and that the black male also had a blue bandana that kind of suggested that this could be gang related. He then gives a new detail though. He tells them that he thinks the shooter may be related to Makara, that she possibly might know the shooter from working at the youth center. So this is something different. They were not thinking about that at all. And Makara's mother said that she believed that could be a place to start too because she said, you know, she may have been around the wrong people at the youth center. You just never know who you run into, who you meet. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as Mykera's prognosis, it's not looking good. Her grandma and her mom beg the surgeon to do what they can to save her life. And unfortunately, the bullet did too much damage. She likely would end up being in a vegetative state if she ever wakes up. Really? Yeah. From being shot in the cheek. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, oh. to what extent, like... Right. I mean, it's connected the exit to... wound or, you know, mm-hmm. if it went into her brain, I don't know. They didn't give those details. Right. Her mom makes a difficult decision to 
actually pull her off of life support. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. The doctors must have said, hey, she has no chance. Like, Mm -hmm. the chance is, like, 1%. Like, it would take a miracle for her to wake up. That's what I'm thinking. Because I don't see another way why the mom would pull the plug and Mm -hmm. the hospital would allow it if it was... Right. If it wasn't a very... Severe. Yeah, Mm -hmm. severe. And it was very, like, slim that she would wake up. Yeah, but this happens very quickly because this was done just before 2 a.m. on January 1st, 2010. Wow. So New Year's Day, just like a few hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. So Makira Sanders is taken off of life support and she passes away on January 1st, 2010. They then tell her that Matthew is in surgery again because he was brought into surgery a second time. Why? I don't know if he had complications. Okay. And her mom didn't know that Matthew was Makira's boyfriend. I'm not too shocked. But other sources state that the families knew each other. So it's quite possible that she knew of Matthew, but didn't know that they were actually dating. They go on to ask her mother for Mykara's social media. And she told them that she was really into MySpace. Wow, what a throwback. Again, like this is 2009, 2010. So. Oof. That She's a sophomore a in high school. Mm-hmm. MySpace? <laughs> yeah, so they plan to look into that. In the meantime, let's talk about the evidence that they do have so far. So detectives return to the crime scene the following day. So this could be January 1st, January 2nd, and they search the premise. They happen to spot a gun tucked behind a bush by the stairwell. And it's a magnum gun, and they notice that there's blood on the barrel of the gun. After analyzing the gun, it appeared that two shots had been fired because there were two spent casings in the gun. Mm. Still, they sent the gun off for testing for fingerprints. When Mykara's autopsy comes in, it shows that she passed away from gunshot wound to her face. The bullet is retrieved and it's compared to the gun that was found on the scene and it appears to be a match when compared. They also find gunpowder on her face, which means that the gun was pressed against her face Mm -hmm. and it was not shot from across the room. So who would have wanted to hurt Makara and Matthew and why? So let's go through the list of suspects. So let's start with the youth center. Particularly, there was a guy that was interested in Mykara, and her friend Satori, her best friend, said that there was a guy from the youth center that liked her, but she wasn't too sure that he was involved. And it's possible that, I'm assuming that officers looked into this guy, but they didn't talk about it very much on the show, so nothing really came of that. The second suspect is Juice, so this is Matthew's cousin. Again, he lives on the second floor with a grandma. Matthew lives on the first floor with his brother. And wait a minute, how old is Matthew's brother? Because they live alone? I'm assuming he's older. Right. And they do live alone. Right. It's just the two of them in a two bedroom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How old is his um, brother's girlfriend? They don't say. Hmm. Okay. The interesting thing about Juice is that 
he does have a criminal background from possession of a firearm to burglary and another thing is he was recently caught flirting with my Kara and Matthew confronted him on this and they got into a fight like a fist fight I think so yeah hmm. there's some shoving oh light um <laughs> So Satori was able to confirm all of this and the fact that Juice did have access to guns. So it's likely, well, it's possible that Juice was in a jealous rage and he, you know, wanted what Matthew had and they had recently gone into this fight because he was on the run at this point. He could not be found. Hmm. So detectives are trying to locate him. And as they're trying to do that, they go back and talk to Krishana, who's Matthew's brother's girlfriend and the 911 caller. Wait, so how old is Juice? Did you say that? No, they don't say. Oh, Mm -hmm. okay. So Krishana is brought in for questioning and her story is not adding up. Um, So they really try to like, tell her like you gotta you gotta tell us what's really going on otherwise like we're gonna charge you with accessory to murder so she now changes her story and she says well there was this party going on and that's true but you know matthew had a gun and he planned to shoot it off at midnight for fun and he made this known and he did it in a very nonchalant way and while he was doing this, Makara was on her phone looking at social media. So she says that at some point they go into the back bedroom and she hears a boom and it scares her. So she runs to her grandma's house and she starts knocking on the door. And they're like, well, that would make logical sense except for the fact that your grandma said you never knocked on the door. And that the first person to knock on the door was Matthew. Right. So she's like, probably thinking, well, damn. <laughs> Let me switch up the story again. I'm, at this point, I'm like, I need to know why this girl is lying. Because yeah. what the heck? They even give her a lie detector test and she fails. Um, so she changes her story again. And she says, fine, I'm fine. I'll tell you the real story. Yeah, okay. Take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, okay. They did go into the back bedroom. That really did happen. I did see Matthew with a gun, like I said before. And it turns out that Matthew accidentally shot Makara. How? If, if, if the autopsy showed that the gun was pressed to her face? So she's saying that they went into the back bedroom. They, as in Matthew, Makara, and they were playing around with a gun playing around and it went off basically and he comes out of the room and he tells her to call 911 and then he turns a gun on himself and shoots himself in the shoulder as she's calling 911 okay so he missed his head was he trying to kill himself or was he trying to give himself an alibi Um, (laughs) or like you know make himself look hurt the way that she's describing it at this point seems like he was in such shock because he accidentally shot her that he's just in shock and he's just trying to like 
probably end his life by shooting himself in the shoulder. I mean, hey, they did say that his injuries were pretty yeah. severe. I mean, he went to the point that he twice. almost died. Yeah. Right. So. But hmm. to them, like, the story just still That's, seems odd. So they really are pressing her. They want to know more. And I'm just thinking, like, is she trying to protect someone? Right. Does she know the shooter? And she doesn't want to, like, reveal who the shooter is. Where is Matthew's brother in all of this? I have no idea, and I wondered that the entire time. It never came up in any of the sources or the TV show. Okay, so one whoever did it is one of these people you're talking about? It's not his brother? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, Matthew's brother is not involved. Oh. Okay, so his girlfriend being weird is really weirding me out Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. But she just basically starts to break down, and she finally tells him that the truth is that she's afraid for her life. And she is protecting someone, and the person that she's protecting is Matthew. Huh? So she thinks that he's very dangerous because it turns out that Matthew also has a criminal background, even though he's 16. Right. Gun charges, I think burglary. He spent time in, like, detention centers. Okay. But she said that what really happened is she saw them get into an argument over Makara being on social media. Okay. Matthew had accused Makara of cheating on him. So she saw that play out. And I guess that Matthew wanted to have a private conversation with her. And so they went into the bedroom and... She heard them arguing in the bedroom for a while, and then she hears a loud boom. And he comes out and tells her to call 911, and then he shoots himself. So she adds a little, like, the story still stays the same, but she adds in the fact, like, hey, they were arguing because he said that she was cheating on him. I mean, there was a witness that said they heard arguing. True. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so it wasn't an accident then that he shot her. It's just like, was this a jealous rage or was it an accident and the gun went off? The gun isn't going to go off unless you pull the trigger. And I know little Wayne says something about trigger like a hairpin and stunting like my daddy, but I don't know. I don't think all gun. I don't think it's true for every gun where it's like so easy to pull. Meaning you have to put a lot of pressure to pull the trigger. Some people do alter their gun so that you don't. Right. Have to do that. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to say is, to me, it feels like a deliberate action Mm. that he took. He's holding the gun to her cheek. What do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? Especially if your hand is around the trigger. Okay. Whether you intend to pull it or not. Right. A reasonable person would not put a gun to someone's face. Sure. Right. Knowing that this gun, first of all, it's a dangerous weapon. It could kill someone. Yeah. Just saying. I mean, no, that's a really good point. And I'm just thinking, did he turn the gun on himself because of guilt? Or, like you were saying, for an alibi? Honestly, I think it wasn't because of guilt. I think it was for an alibi. Or, like, to make it look like, I don't know who did this. Like, look, they got me too. And the fact that this gunshot almost killed him mm-hmm. made it more believable. Or at least to me, it made it more believable that, like... Or it could be more believable, I guess, if someone like, okay, 
he clearly was injured pretty badly. It's not yeah. like it was um, one of these flesh wounds or something, sure. you know, mm-hmm. that other people would do. But, but this still has detectives very confused because right. she's the first person that's saying any of this information and sure. she's not someone that I would consider credible because her, her story has switched so much, right? Exactly. But she is saying like, hey, I'm afraid for my life and he's the person I was protecting because I'm scared. So do you think she's somebody they could put on the stand if it came down to it? If you were, mm. if, you know, I'm if you were so just sure. looking at this case, just... I I would not want to put this person on the stand. I think it would hurt my case. Really? Yeah. Does she have a criminal background? Not that I know of, but you never know. Like, they may have just left that detail out. True. I think um, if she didn't have a criminal background or if it was something petty mm-hmm. that she did, um, I would put her on the stand. It's just her story changed so much, like, three times. Yes, but I could argue that it changed because she, she was, was afraid. Yeah. yeah. And not because she was trying to, I don't know, deceive officers. Mm-hmm. That wasn't her intent. Her intent was to stay alive. Okay. Would you lie to stay alive? That's what I would say to the jury. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Yeah. But with this new information about Mykera and Matthew fighting, detectives now look into Mykera's social media because, like, maybe it'll provide a little bit more answers. And they are even more pressed to do this because they receive an anonymous letter. And it says that Mykera was killed because she posted something on MySpace. Okay. This brings us to suspect number four. Devin York, a.k.a. Snoop, a.k.a. Mykera's ex-boyfriend. So, Mykera and her ex-boyfriend, apparently they met on MySpace. And apparently Matthew caught on to their relationship and he was jealous of their friendship. Like, their relationship turned friendship that they had going on. Mykera did confide in Snoop that Matthew had hit her. So there was some domestic violence. Oh no. Detectives are able to get a subpoena for her MySpace records. And so they're able to see like actual messages and stuff. And she was very flirty with Snoop in the messages. And he was one of the last people that she spoke to Hmm. on December 31st. So she had received a message from Snoop saying, you know, that there's a party going on and they should hang out. And she tells him that she can't, that she's busy. And he sent her a final message saying, come on, babe, let's celebrate New Year's Eve together. And she responds, nope. Basically, what detective's theory is, is that Mykera was on her phone moments before her being murdered. She's checking her MySpace messages. And Matthew probably saw her doing this as guests were about to start arriving. And he was concerned and freaked out and was like, let's talk about it privately in the back bedroom. And they got into an argument and he shot her. And that Krishana was also just freaking out. She didn't know what to do with something that was completely unexpected. And that's why she lied about the intruder, because 
again, Matthew has a gun, right? Mm-hmm. When Matthew comes out of the, the room, he still has a gun in his hand and he shoots himself. So like, what's to say that he won't turn around and shoot her? Right. So they're trying to piece this together. It's starting to make a lot more sense to them now. So they are more confident that Matthew is more involved than he initially claimed to be. So they go back to Matthew and he's still in the hospital. And he's a lot more stable at this point. He has no idea what's going on though. He does not know that my Kara passed away. Wow. Mm-hmm. When they start to interview him, he's very short. They ask him questions like, what happened? And he says, I was shot. Where did it happen? At my apartment. To what extent are you asking him to elaborate? Like he's allowed to answer these questions in a short matter of fact manner. Right. They need to ask better questions. Right. Mm-hmm. To elicit a better More response. More so like open-ended questions. They're asking yes or no questions yeah. type of thing. Or mm-hmm. questions that can be answered very like concisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But then they asked him who he was with, and he responded in this way. He said, my girl, that bitch. And they were like, did he really call her a bitch? That's weird. Okay. Um, Like, that's how you talk about your girl that was, that you know was shot. You don't know what condition she is in, but Uh they thought that was very bizarre. That is. They tell him that while he was in surgery, they did get more details on him from Krishana. And at this point, he starts talking a little bit more. He confirms that they did get into an argument about Mykera using social media, specifically MySpace, and messaging other people. And that he confronted her about her cheating on him. But he denies shooting her. He said that he actually left the apartment to cool off because he was so heated. He knew friends were coming over within a few minutes and he just didn't want to be in this mood. And he says that while he was outside, he did see a suspect that was about 5'8", a black male with a blue bandana, walking in the direction of the apartment, didn't think anything of it, heard a shot. And as he started running back towards the apartment, he, as in Matthews, now walking towards the apartment, he gets shot in the apartment. Um, I feel like that's different than what he said in the beginning. So he said he is now telling this story because he was just afraid initially because he was scared for his life. On the flip side of that, that this would come back on him and he would look guilty. I mean, I don't really see him as a scary person if he, you know, done been to a few detention centers and has committed burglary and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It seems like he was insinuating that he had beef that was gang related. Okay. And that he was scared for his life. I mean, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So during this conversation, detectives noticed that he never asked for my Kara. He never asked how she was doing. I don't know if it were my significant other or someone I know who had been hurt and I remember them being hurt, I would have asked how they were doing. But he's still processing everything. He was hurt too. Yes. He's kind of probably like just still a little bit out of it. 
Mm. You're like, no, I would be asking. I would for my still Nana. be asking. Yeah. <laughs> be like, where he at? But at some point, I guess like maybe they're pressing him too much, and he just feels overwhelmed. He asks for a lawyer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. he's sixteen. Mm-hmm. So this is not his first rodeo. You know, it clearly is if he was talking without a lawyer to begin like to begin with, meaning it's not his first rodeo, but he hasn't learned anything from his past rodeos. At the same time here, he is a victim of a gunshot wound. So, right. He might be viewing it differently because he really is innocent. You know what? That's the other side of it. Law school has tainted me (laughs) because like. Shoot, the Innocence Project exists for a reason. People who are innocent end up in prison. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they talk Mm -hmm. to the cops, right? And then, look, then years later we see they get out. 20 years later, 25 years later, like, you know, their whole life gone because the cops were so determined to put them in prison. So, yeah, exactly. Things are not always what they seem. And while this is all happening them questioning Matthew they do find juice and they're able to question him I'm assuming that they must have tested all of this really quickly because this is all unfolding within like two days Mm. but results come back from the gun it turns out that the gun was consistent with the gun that was used to shoot Makara and Matthew and there are fingerprints on the gun right and the fingerprints don't come back as Matthews. It comes back as Juice's. Oh, okay. His cousin, yeah. They have this information. They present him with this information. He says he has nothing to do with it. He tells them that the only reason why his fingerprints would be on the gun is because Matthew shot Mykera. He ran upstairs meaning to the second floor of the complex, and he gave Juice the gun. And he told Juice to get rid of the gun. And he got rid of the gun by putting it behind a bush. And he apparently wiped off Matthew's fingerprints, but somehow he didn't wipe off his own. That don't make any sense. Because like, realistically, if you're wiping off prints, you can't tell whose prints are there if you're literally looking at the gun, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you wipe off Matthews and say that, you know, so matter-of-factly, right? Mm -hmm. How? how? Like, it's not visible to the human eye. So (laughs) this really, this part had me baffled. Right. And you know how I also mentioned, like, he was being flirty. He hasn't, Juice was being flirty with Makara. Right. Um, he would text her, like, privately and be like, hey, like, what are you up to? Like, complimenting her, seeing how beautiful she is. Just things like that. That he shouldn't be doing, because it's like, that's your cousin's girlfriend. Trifling. Mm-hmm. It seems like there could be a motive for Juice trying to hurt both of them out of a jealous rage. And we know that Juice also has a background and he's a dangerous guy. Like, he's known as being dangerous in the neighborhood. But at the end of the day, detectives feel that they have enough evidence to charge Matthew. And not Juice. Mm -hmm. Even though the prints come back to Juice. Mm -hmm. Now, 
it could be an accessory after the fact. Hold on one second. The only thing linking Matthew mm-hmm. to the murder is that girl's testimony yeah. saying that he pulled the trigger. Yeah. And they're going to arrest him just based off of her words. See, now well, that... See, if I would put her in the stand now, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> yeah. now it's going to be a different type of interrogation going on. Yeah. Because... I mean, based off of her statement and Snoop, my Kara's ex-boyfriend, saying like, hey, there was domestic violence, but does that mean But that does that mean her? he killed her? Well, they felt that they had enough. And okay. even okay. though they didn't have physical evidence, right? Right. He is charged with second degree murder in just 48 hours after the shooting, and he's handcuffed to the hospital bed. Man, that's some stuff you see on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> For yeah. real. Did they test his hands? for gunshot residue? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't remember seeing that anywhere. They didn't mention it on the show. I don't remember reading it. I would think that like that's one of the first thing they do. Maybe it just wasn't mentioned on the show. Yeah. Like, this is Forensic Evidence 101. Right. My Karen's family believes that detectives, they, they got the right guy. Her best friend, Satori, said that my Kara wanted to leave Matthew. She just felt like their relationship was going down a certain path that was opposite of who she was as a person. Right. Um, Also the fact that she kept her relationship a secret from her family. I think that was really taking a toll on her. Her family was very strict. They did not support her dating as a teenager in general. They were just completely against it. And remember, they were also religious. Her mother said this, though. She said that she thinks because my care was just such a loving person and always trying to help people that she saw Matthew as someone that she could help. And she ended up like falling in love with him. And when she noticed that he wasn't really getting the hint and wasn't really changing his life, she decided like, yeah, this is not for me. There's nothing else I can do for you. And wanted to leave him. When he saw that she was going to leave him, he basically resorted to what he knows, which is violence. Mm. So when they had this New Year's Eve party and he saw her messaging someone else on her phone and that being her ex-boyfriend, he really, really lost it because he probably is thinking like, damn, she's gonna leave me, but then she's gonna go back with her ex. And that was just something that he couldn't deal with. Not only that, actually at the time that this was all happening, December 31st, 2009, Mm -hmm. he was on house detention. He had a monitor on his ankle. He couldn't leave at certain times. Okay. So her mom feels like he was even more upset because of that. Like if she wanted to go to the party, he couldn't go with her. That's Mm. why they were having the party at his apartment. Yeah. He was bringing the party to him. He was just very frustrated with the way that his life was. So the prosecution planned to charge Matthew as an adult and he was facing life in prison. Makara's mother was present every step of the way and she said that she just had conflicting views as to Matthew. She felt like as much as she's sad that her daughter isn't here and that she, adamantly believes that he was involved in taking her life. 
she just feels that Matthew didn't have the right influence in his life. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the best role models. And he he is where he is because of his life's circumstances. And there was right. no one to, like, really guide him. Yeah. And all that he knew was violence. Yep. And he didn't know how to resolve issues. Like, talking about your girlfriend possibly cheating on you, like, just having a conversation, all he knows is resorting to violence, and that's what he did that day. Isn't it, like, wild to think about how life circumstances can really change people's trajectory Mm -hmm. in life? Like, you know, we were brought up a certain way, we had certain opportunities and stuff like that, and I think about it all the time, how certain people had the same opportunities, and you know a supportive household and stuff like that that their life's trajectory would look a lot different oh yeah in a positive Mm -hmm. way i saw that a lot especially when i was teaching in miami i would see you know my students and they were so smart and stuff and some of them you know lived a double life you know once class was over it was like back to the streets for real yeah like one student i could think of in particular him and his sister lived by themselves, and he was 16 at the time, and she was 14. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. His grandma was doing life in prison. How was he able to live by himself at 16? Like No one's checking on them. Wow. Mm-hmm. Damn, that's really hard. Yeah. You could not imagine that. So when I would talk to the students, like this wasn't true for everyone, right? But like when I would talk to them about careers and stuff, because even though I was a math teacher, I would go beyond that and talk about life and stuff because I felt like that was important too, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of them couldn't fathom going to college or beyond that, you know? I'm pretty sure I mentioned this on one episode, but there was one student in particular, I'll never forget her, Olivia. And she was arguing about why, you know, going to prison was actually better than, you know, getting a job. I'm sorry, what? Yes. Yes. She was arguing that because she said that if you're in prison, you get, you know, a meal for each meal. Mm-hmm. You get to go outside, you still get to socialize with people, and people put money on your books, and you have a bed. It was, I mean, at first I had the same reaction, like, what? And then as she explained it, like, Mm -hmm. it made me sad because, you know, it all comes back to stability. And that's basically what she was saying. Like, there would be some sort of stability there. Wow. Yep. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I can definitely understand what, you know, why people would be sympathetic to Matthew Mm -hmm. in this instance. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine her mom being sympathetic. I mean, that takes a lot of... She was sympathetic to a certain extent. Right. You know? Well, yeah, but even, even being sympathetic to a certain extent, it takes a certain amount of forgiveness you know, yeah. and being able to step outside of like your hurt to like kind of examine someone else's circumstances and that what they're going through. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's easy to do. Yeah, it's true. 
but in the end, the case does not go to trial. After looking at the strength of the forensic evidence and the witnesses, I don't think the prosecution felt comfortable bringing this case to trial, honestly. And so they offer Matthew a plea deal and he takes it. Okay. And he offers an Alford plea, which means basically I accept the facts as they are, but I'm still maintaining my innocence because I believe that I'm innocent. But if you presented this to a jury, they could find me guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. So as part of that deal, on October 17th, 2011, Matthew was sentenced to 13 years in prison and nine months. And he only serves 10 years out of that and is released. Whoa. So what I think happened, so he ends up appealing in 2021. Right. And he appealed this case on the claim that that his age should have been a mitigating factor. Because even though he was offered this plea deal, he was still given it as if he was an adult. There was right. no mitigating factor. Right. So in his petition, he cited to a 2017 Supreme Court case that happened in Washington, as in Washington, the state. Um, it's called State versus Houston Sconers. And in that case, the court decided that if we're talking about children, as in minors under the age of 18, the Eighth Amendment needs to be considered for those children. So trial courts, they must consider mitigating qualities of a youth in sentencing, and they must use their discretion when it comes to sentencing those kids. So you can impose a lower sentence than a standard sentencing that you would apply to an adult. Right, and the Eighth Amendment has to do with cruel and unusual punishment, by the way. Mm Mm-hmm. So they ruled in favor of Matthew and they said, okay, we're going to remand this for new sentencing. Mm. I couldn't find any other information as to that, but I'm assuming because he was released within the 10 years that that had something to do with him being resentenced. Right. Do you know when he filed the resentencing thing? It said 2021. Okay, so then he got out probably right around that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Soon after. Wow. Yeah. And that case was in the Supreme Court of Washington, Washington. not of the United States, by the way, y'all. Yeah. Remember, each state basically has a Supreme Court. So, Makara's family was very upset, obviously. They feel like the sentencing was too lenient. Mostly because he also had a criminal record previously. Right. So they're like, how does he just get off? He's, he has felonies. It just didn't make sense to them. Her mom says that her life will never be the same. And that, mm. you know, Makara had a very bright future ahead of her. And she's reminded every single day that she's gone. And it's just such a huge void in her life. Mm. Her mom, again, reiterated the fact that Mykera really loved people and she got involved with Matthew because she felt like she could save him. Right. And ultimately, it was this faith and this kindness in trying to be a positive influence on his life that cost her her life. Wow. Her volunteer coordinator does make an appearance on the show and she said that she wonders what Mykera could have been. 
just because she was just so bright and smart and just mature, very dedicated and passionate. She's like, she could have been a singer, she could have been a writer, she could be working with people right now. So just very sad. And then her best friend Satori just said that she misses her friend. And it's a once in a lifetime friendship and it's just, it's been really hard for her. Wow. She's on the show, she's crying. Yeah. That's a lot of trauma to have to deal with at such a young age too. Mm -hmm. You know, so the interesting part about this case is that a lot of it is circumstantial and Mm -hmm. we really can't be sure about Juice's involvement in this. Of course, I think if you're looking at both angles, yes, it's very possible that, you know, Matthew did this. But I just, mm-hmm. it's just the fingerprints on the gun that throws me. Yeah. Because realistically, how can you wipe off, unless, unless Matthew was wearing gloves or something to like make sure he doesn't hold the gun, right? So if he has gloves on, he gives it to his cousin and his cousin doesn't have gloves on, now his prints are on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, but I don't know if he- Possible or he could have wiped it off right initially and just accidentally held it before he's placing it in the bush yeah or it could be that you know yeah that's what i'm thinking yeah Mm. i don't know i don't think matthew has enough time to put gloves on i don't know i don't know if he he thought about all that right it it seems like a lot of it was in the it just seemed like it was in the moment it was Mm -hmm. the heat of the moment and Mm -hmm. stuff but the prosecution must know something if they decided to offer a plea deal of 13 years, yeah. okay? Because like for a murder, you're not gonna offer that type of deal mm-hmm. unless you feel like you might not win this case. Yeah, they were not giving out all the details, right? right? There's stuff that we don't know right? Um, that they left out of the episode or out of these sources, out of the articles, I mean. So it's very possible that there was a lot more holes in this story that just didn't make the episode. Yeah, but that's the case of Makara Sanders. Wow. Gone so soon and she was wise beyond her years and just doing like, just, I feel like a lot of parents dream kid of just like being very focused and just giving back and having this heart of gold. Yeah. Just, wow is shocking because her really her last act was just trying to be like good to somebody yeah but wow the fact that matthew's out right now and and might be listening to this podcast who knows um yeah hopefully like he takes this opportunity to change his life and turn it around yes and you know you're an adult now and a lot of people don't get second chances like this yeah you know it's kind of like you got a second chance do something with it do something positive with it sending well wishes to makara's mom and her her grandma was also on the show her siblings siblings her friends just such a tragedy yeah over a MySpace message. Crazy. 
it's really sad to see this happen, especially with young people, super young people. Hopefully schools start to talk more about this, like about domestic violence Mm -hmm. in relationships. And it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month this month. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I hope schools start to talk more about that because at least in high school for me, I don't remember them really talking about it at all. Like maybe it was like one class for like 10 minutes, but it's not something like people were conscious about, like 100% aware. And I'm sure it was happening. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, hopefully high schools are, like, finding a way to integrate teachings about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know some high school students listen to this podcast. Because when I was doing, mm-hmm. yeah, because when I did the um, panel recently for, like, the Black Law Students Association of Northeast, mm-hmm. of the Northeast, Mm -hmm. Um, someone came up to me and said that she had heard about the podcast because one of her students told her about it and she's a high school teacher oh wow so okay the student is teenager in high school yes wow so shout out to them stay in school y'all and you know if you're ever in a relationship like this talk to somebody because I think that's one of the biggest things that happen is you don't tell anybody and then you know, it's too late to yeah. do anything. So, you know, just things to keep in mind. And that concludes this week's episode. We will see you guys next week with a new episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Bye. Bye, guys.